fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. And I'm Vienno. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News and talk about a bunch of random bullshit that only conservatives care about with my friend Vienno. Oh, great. My favorite discussion point. <laughs> Woohoo, yay. More conservative talking points. I can't wait. The thing is, usually there is like a coherent narrative or something I can latch on to, uh, but this one really was all over the place this week, so it is what it is. But how are you, Vienno? Well, you asked me that in the middle of yawning, um, so I'm tired. I'm a little bit sleepy, but beyond that, okay, I'm alive. Uh, yeah, sleepy, enough to <laughs> lose track of what I was trying to say there. How are you? I am uh, a little better today. I uh, I don't feel great. <laughs> But uh, that is fine. I am I uh, have mental health problems and will be going to see therapy. So that's always fun. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Oddly Gasp. enough, unrelated to this program, you know, people I, I often get from people that it's like, oh, uh, covering the far right that that must really like take it out of you. It's like no, it's everything else in life. I don't, covering Ezra is just like, I mean, it's. It's a festering wound in our society. <laughs> but, but not directly related to my, uh, to, uh, my depression. <laughs> Everything beyond the rise of fascism globally is the thing that depresses Jody. Jody's delighted by the rise of fascism. Part of it is it's it's my brain. It's, it's I mean some of it will be situational, obviously, but most of it's my brain. Uh, it has been around. My my depression has been around uh, long before I knew who Ezra was. So uh, and fascism for that matter. So it is what it is. But uh, I, I did want to hit hit something right up front, which is that obviously there there was a uh, one really big news item and another like sub big news item that we're not going to get to we're recording a bit late this week because i had a wedding to attend to over the last weekend and so that pushed our our recording schedule uh, up a bit but of course that weekend was when this mass shooter decided to uh kill people uh and in their manifesto was some great replacement bullshit which uh, again is something we hear frequently on the show so we're not going to talk about it today, uh, and I'm curious to see if they even bring it up at all next week. My guess is Ezra's just going to avoid it, but if it doesn't come up in their show, we will address it, because of course, uh, Ezra has been a, a promoter. A, a, he, he, I guess, uh, has been a part of the Great Replacement propagandizing since uh, as long as he's been out there, basically. So uh, we will touch on that next week. The other thing that we're going to miss this episode that's like really relevant is the resignation of Jason Kenny, his old bud. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> and my guess out of the two topics that I just brought up, I'm pretty sure he's going to mention the Jason Kenny thing. Uh so my guess is we'll have more to say about that next week. For now, I I mean uh, I'm I'm a little concerned considering that he he was forced out for pretty much not being far right enough and uh 
that's concerning, considering how already far right he is. But also, fuck Jason Kenney, so... <laughs> Jody, Jason Kenney is a committed leftist at this point. Did you did you see uh, Rachel Notley's tweet? I saw something about it in a CDBC article. It, I, listen... Obviously, you're in Alberta. Vote NDP. You got to do what you got to do. But my God, I like I hate this liberal. Oh, he was a servant. He he committed community service, and uh, we got to honor him for that. No, we don't have to honor him. In fact, and being a premier is hard. Yeah. Uh, in fact, he is a shitty person who did shitty things. He does not deserve our honor. He deserves our scorn and ridicule until his dying breath. So. How long do you think the UCP is going to survive post-Kenny? Uh, I mean, they're united, Vienna. They can't... Once you unify, you they can't They were united under again. Jason Kenny. That's it. <laughs> there was nothing else c- keeping them together. He was the glue, the band-aid, the duct tape, all of it. Uh, so, yeah. He's breaking up with the band, and now the band's going to have to break up, right? That's uh... When's their election? It's a year after ours, I think. So, I think it'll be next. Year. Uh, it's not. They're not going to survive that long. We'll see. Uh, Vienna was committed to a prediction here, so let's all remember. We'll probably all forget, but it at least will be <laughs> on the podcast. At, uh, I'm going to say that they're gone by September. Gone by September. Bold yeah. prediction. I I think they'll stick around. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I think. I think they will last one more election. And my prediction for that is just because they're aware of like the splitting of the vote. That's the whole reason why they got the band back together in the first place. So we'll see whether they try to commit to that bit. But my guess is if they lose one election to the NDP, it uh, they will split again. But that's that's I my thought. I think they're going to be chewing each other like, like hyenas in... <laughs> six to eight weeks like well probably (laughs) here's here's what i will say they will probably be chewing each other like hyenas regardless (laughs) but whether that will end up in the inevitable breakdown of the party we will we will have to wait and see we shall see hello my rebels hello my rebels I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. So we are covering the week of May 9th to May 13th. And on May 9th, the very first half of uh, the episode, Ezra is talking about a Twitter interaction with somebody named David Skok. Skok? Skok? Either way. He is the... David Skok, yeah. (laughs) True. True. If you smush it together, uh, yes. Yeah, we gotta say it together. Gotta say his full name. Speaking Respect, of... <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, uh, David... Respect to David's cock. <laughs> David's cock owns a, a media organization in Canada called The Logic. Have you ever heard of The Logic? The Logic of David's cock? The Logic of David's cock, yes. Interesting. No, I haven't heard of it. I mean, the CEO of The Logic is David's cock. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, apparently there's some like it, like tech entrepreneur uh, web zine thing. 
and they release like one article per day per day that's supposed to be like a deep dive on like tech entrepreneurs like shit and Gross. uh apparently like the the pay in it's like $300 for a yearly subscription which sounds ridiculous ridiculous mhm but anyways I tried to figure out whether they were right or left leaning to, leaning to sort of understand what like Ezra's going on about here. As far as I could tell, they're just kind of like, I would say right of center, if I'm guessing. Maybe someone else can, can like point me out, but I wasn't going to pay money to read any of their stupid articles. Uh, <laughs> but by get like based on like their coverage of stuff, uh, they had one article criticizing the NDP for being too socialist or something like this. So my guess is they're center right. Uh, but that's fine. So Ezra is mad at this guy anyways, because apparently David's cock, he came out saying that he was against the media bailout, but he ended up taking a media bailout. And I guess the reason David gave was because he's like, we're going to be like uh, out competed by people who take the bailout. So we're going to take it anyways. And Ezra gets in a Twitter fight with him basically to call him a hypocrite. And that is the whole opening segment. <laughs> the uh, hypocrisy of David's cock. Yes, and their engagement on Twitter, where they, they had a bit of a back and forth, and this is the content that we had to deal with this week. <laughs> wow. Like, at the end of the day, I'm like, what, like why does he... I realize this f- fits his whole, like media party liberals are paying the media stuff like sort of like talking point it's just like it at the end of the day it's just you talking with some dude online about their business decisions <laughs> and then you're talking about it on your show and now we're talking about it on our show so uh i guess we could move on <laughs> get away from david's cock ezra yes uh or get closer to it you know whatever Whatever floats your boat. The interview segment was a bit weirder in that it was an interview with someone that we've talked about before named Lee Humphrey. He's a a guest who's been on before who Ezra has on to talk about usually anything to do with the military. And I think think he was active in the Afghanistan war as a Canadian veteran, but then... I don't think up, you're a veteran when you're active, but yeah. No, no, he's he's now a veteran. He was active mm-hmm. in the war and is now a veteran. Sorry about my misspeaking. Uh, but then he then became like a contractor. I think he like works out of, uh, he, he was, uh, had uh, contracts in Iraq and stuff like this. So he's, mm. he's a paid uh, militia type figure who does stuff. A Blackwater for, uh, boy. Yes, I mean, not quite, but he he offers, like, strategic analysis of, like, military combat zones or, like, you know, that kind of garbage. So that's the type of person we're dealing with here. And Ezra wants to have him on so they can discuss Ukraine in some capacity. And it's a very weird discussion. So the first thing they talk about is, uh, like, what what is uh, Canada's goal with Ukraine. And so they're trying to, to analyze that. And Humphrey begins by complaining about uh, the Canadian government's recent trip to Ukraine. So I guess both Trudeau and Kara Freeland and other people of the government went to Ukraine on some sort of like, I don't know what you call it, diplomacy mission? Is that what you would call it? Or or really was like a, an arms 
selling mission, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I wonder when we're going to start selling LAVs to Ukraine. Well, here's this is part of the the uh, at least Lee's argument was he complains that like Trudeau arrived empty-handed, and I was like, like does Humphrey ex- <laughs> does Humphrey expect that Trudeau himself was going to personally deliver like the helicopters and missiles? Like he should have flown there in an F sixteen that was carrying multiple <laughs> LAVs. Uh, yeah. I mean, and then it gets even weirder because they go from complaining about him arriving empty-handed to then saying, well, well, and then it extends into them saying that it's going to take a while for any of the weapons to get there anyways, and they wish it could be faster. But then they go on to spend the rest of the episode worried about Canada being involved in Ukraine. So it's like they want to have their cake and eat it too, because he wants to say that we're not giving them the weapons fast enough. But then they're all like, but why are we getting involved with them anyways? <laughs> to make money. Well, Duh. Yeah. Well, they're worried that, like, if Canada gets involved with Putin, that, like, maybe this will start World War Three, and, like, they're going back on, uh, back and forth on that. Yeah. Now, Lee is more in the camp that uh, we're not going to get involved in World War Three. Ezra seems to be more, like, worried about it. But Lee's still, like surprisingly at sort of like Ezra's questioning comes out like Canada shouldn't even be involved in Ukraine, even though he's mad at Trudeau for arriving empty handed. He's like, we shouldn't get involved in Ukraine. And then Ezra even like, I I didn't quote like clip it because it was like very convoluted, but Ezra was basically justifying Putin's act of aggression by saying that uh, he understands why Putin did it in the same way that, like, America was, like, mad at Cuba for being so close to them. <laughs> Empire's gonna empire, you know? Well, right, but I'm just like, you know, the easy answer is there's, like, Cuba didn't deserve that shit either. <laughs> but, um, I mean, you are right. Empire's gonna empire. It's just like, I don't know. Maybe maybe don't harass countries that are right beside you just because they don't align with you completely. Yeah. That would be that would be an idea. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, I mean that was the conversation. It was really uh boring and uh again, th- so then here's I got one clip from this segment. And it is in a very a very weird part of the conversation, which Ezra wants to talk about this incident where I guess Trudeau, while he was in Ukraine, they were going to raise a Canadian flag, and he fumbled with the flag. And so literally... Uh-huh, idiot. <laughs> so literally, half of the interview was them talking about what we just talked about. And then the other half was them talking about this stupid flag incident. So, But let me show you a clip, and we'll just play it in the background here. It's not really important, the sound. It's Trudeau raising the flag at the Canadian embassy in Kiev, which I think is a good thing to do. I think it's good to open the embassy there. I think that is a good symbol. Uh, by nature, an embassy is is there for good reasons, to help Canadians on the ground, to be a diplomatic liaison. I think that's good to, to reopen the embassy if it's the judgment that it's safe to do so. And if it's safe to do so, that's a good sign too. But, mm-hmm. but here's my comment from a photo op point of view. 
Trudeau fumbled with that flag for two minutes. He couldn't get it. He couldn't get it up. Now, I'm not blaming him. It wasn't his job to, to set it up. I, I don't think that there's a, a special trick to it that he that he failed to know. I think it was just, a, you know, there's a lot going on there, and maybe they just didn't check in advance that this flag was ready to raise. Here's my point, Lee. This is a photo op trip. It's all for the photos. It's all for the media. And the Canadian media was there en masse. And we're letting this video run so you can see just how painful it was for so long. I haven't seen this video clip anywhere other, on, other than on little Twitter accounts. I haven't seen it on the CBC or CTV. Now, maybe I missed it. I could be wrong. But here's my point. If it were Stephen Harper who couldn't raise a flag or Jason Kenney, like Jason Kenney the other day had trouble getting his, uh, uh, the gas nozzle out of the gas tank of his pickup truck, every TV station and newspaper ran that because it was sort of funny. And, and Kenny sort of looked goofy for a minute. And it, it wasn't a moral failing. But I think that the media that accompanies Trudeau, not only do they love him and they are dis, disinformationers for him, but look at them covering up this little gaffe for him. I can't trust the media at all. And I think I learned this even more during the lockdowns. What do you make of not? Of the, I don't blame Trudeau for the fact he couldn't raise the flag, but I blame the media for covering up this little photo op blemish because they're clearly just propagandists for him. <laughs> okay, is it over? It's <laughs> that was so long. Of just like nothing. There's more. This is the thing. It was. It, there was like ten minutes of this fucking <laughs> episode all in this flag. The flag. It's, he fumbled with the flag for two minutes, Vieto, and nobody covered it. Were they supposed to play the whole two-minute clip, or the two-minute clip sped up? Like, well, what? That was actually my initial reaction. Was like the reason why the Jason Kenny thing can be so like caught because it's like ten seconds. It's like mm-hmm. he's trying to get the thing out and he can't. Like ha ha ha, you know. And and there's like the added bit of irony there, which it's like you know he's supposed to be like I'm this oil person, love gas guzzling trucks. Like that's why he was doing that photo op, you know. And the fact that he's like portraying this like I'm a I'm a car, I'm a truck person, you know. And the fact that I'm you couldn't <laughs> you couldn't fuel your your truck is like silly, right? Where it's like Trudeau, like it's two minutes of him, like how many of us can tie knots? You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know what he was fumbling with, but like okay, two minutes of him not getting a flag on a pole, like whatever. Who, who the fuck cares? What exciting footage! <laughs> but it's a media cover up, you know? They're covering it up. <laughs> They're covering up a boring clip. Ah, <laughs> the news. They're not doing it anymore. It's like, it's literally, when I when I first got to this point, I'm like, literally nothing happened that week. That they had to make up a conspiracy theory of the media covering up the stupid flag thing. When the very, I mean, he, he even, the best part in that clip is he explains why no one would cover it. Like, for the same reasons where he's like, oh, Justin was probably just fumbling with the, like, it was windy, like, he didn't have, they didn't tell him in advance. Like, he gave all the justifications for why this is a nothing story, only Mm -hmm. to then be like, why would the media want to hide this footage? Two minute long footage of Trudeau looking like a fool. (laughs) They should have played it sped up, just made him look like an expert. Yeah. You know? She's like, <laughs> and then boom, flag is up. <laughs> and um, they wouldn't have had to play the full two minute clip. 
Or, you know, the media was just like, we don't need to play this because Rebel News has got it. We know. Yeah. <laughs> this is the primo Rebel News content. We know one media company is going to get this. We don't need to we don't need to hit it. You know. True. So <laughs> it's what every news company thinks is like, ah, we don't need to do this. Rebels got it. Yeah. <laughs> the best part is I didn't clip this, but Lee eventually gets to it and he's like you know, it's a it's a metaphor for how we're fumbling what we're doing in Ukraine. <laughs> <sighs> Justin Trudeau can't get that flag up, just like we can't get weapons into Ukraine. <laughs> just like I, I can't people. get it up with my wife. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear Lord. So we, we get to May 10th. And uh, this, I think this is the very first time this comes up. But Ezra wants to talk about Stephen Gilbo again. And every time he brings up Stephen Gilbo, he reminds his audience that he is a convicted criminal. But we have noted that he, I don't think he has ever mentioned why Gilbo was in fact a criminal. Like what he did. And we bring it up all the time because it's probably the coolest thing that Stephen Gilbo has done, which is that Gilbo climbed the CN Tower and dropped a banner that said Bush and Canada climate killers and then was charged with mischief for, again, climbing the CN Tower to drop this banner. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, now that I've said this out loud, you're probably thinking, oh, really, you're going to call someone who drops a banner like that a convicted criminal? Like, it doesn't sound that extreme, like, you know, but Ezra always, he's a convicted criminal. So this is the first time that Ezra wants to talk about it. And the reason why he wants to talk about it is because he wants to say that Stephen Gilbo got off the, like, somehow, like, didn't spend any time in jail because he lied to the judge. <laughs> Okay, so uh, this is apparently uh, how he lied to the judge. So he was excited about what he had done. He was thrilled about his planned crime when he was caught. He loved it. And here's the Globe and Mail continuing the report after he was convicted and sentenced. CN Tower climbers ordered to pay costs. Two Greenpeace activists who scaled the CN Tower last summer and unfurled a massive banner in a stunt that drew international media coverage, pleaded guilty yesterday to public mischief. Britain Christopher Holden, 24, and Montrealer Stephen Gilbo, 32, received conditional discharges and agreed to pay $3,000 to the tower's corporate owner as compensation for the security and staff costs it incurred. Although a prosecutor told an Ontario court judge the two men were remorseful, uh, both expressed jubilation outside court about having drawn public attention to global climate change and the need to cut greenhouse gas emissions. Oh, so they lied about remorse and the prosecutor went along with it? They literally said what they needed to say to stay out of jail, tell the judge whatever he needs to hear. And once they had fooled the judge, once they tricked him, they reverted to their real selves. Is that perjury? I wonder. Is that perjury, Vienna? <laughs> no. <laughs> How do you, like, because, like, you would have to... Story over. I mean, you like... would have to prove intent that, like, they intended to, like, maybe they're like, you know, we're happy that we got our message out there, but we're, we have remorse for climbing the sea tower. Like, there's many ways they could, like, carve this up. Uh, 
that would totally be fine. But also, we like, are sorry for climbing the CN Tower. It was an incredible amount of work. Yeah. <laughs> I was really sorry the next day. My arms hurt like shit. But it was based in cool. <laughs> yeah. Now, Ezra says like they did that like their lying was what kept them out of jail or whatever. And here's the thing, it's like mischief is one of those crimes where like you know, there you can see jail time, but like most of the time you'll be you'll receive a fine. Or something like that. Very small. It is very, very unlikely that they would have seen any jail time for this. Like, I... (laughs) It's just so amazing that Ezra keeps... Like, they got out of jail because they were lying! (laughs) If they didn't lie, we would have brought back the death penalty. Just for them. Well, they committed perjury. (laughs) Yeah. That's... that's, Hung them from the CN Tower. Leave the bodies there. I just gotta think too, like it's weird that he's never brought this up. And I'm thinking like why why bring this up? Like we're gonna get to why he's talking about Stephen Gilbo in a second. But I'm still just like, why have you never brought this up before? And now that he has brought it up, I'm like uh, how would his like uh, would anyone in his audience be convinced by this that, that this is something that we need to care about? <laughs> I mean he would talk about that because he was the public safety or whatever dude before this. And now he's Minister of Environment, so maybe that's, like, why? It's because he's, like, a super-secret climate change activist, blah, 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 blah. So that that does get into, like, what we're going to talk about next. And it was it was a Canadian, Canadian Heritage Minister, which yeah, had to do one. with, like, uh, online hate and stuff like this was, uh, I guess, what you were thinking with the public safety. But, yes, he is now the Minister of the Environment. And that's kind of what Ezra wants to talk about. But this is like kind of convoluted itself, which is that Ezra wants to complain about this group called Equiter. And Equiter is the group that Gilbo created after he left Greenpeace. It's just another environmental organization, basically. And they're, Ezra's mad for one that they're currently running this campaign, which is telling people not to buy SUVs. And Ezra starts off by saying that this ad campaign is anti-family, since I guess in Ezra's mind, the only vehicle that families will ever use is an SUV. (laughs) Uh, And I'm like, I don't know. I drive a van. It's not an SUV. It also uses a lot of gas, but it uses less gas than an SUV. Like, there is ways to, like, parse these things out that, like, maybe you don't need to drive an SUV if you have a family, you know? But apparently, Jody, yeah. SUVs are the car of the nuclear family. Yeah. <laughs> it's, They're well, the yeah. car of the oil family. I remember as Jesus was writing the New Testament and he scrawled out, may the nuclear family only drive SUVs. I do recall that. Yeah. And then he had, he had a really long winded explanation of the concept of nuclear, which was kind of like, yeah, I guess you need to do that back then. But yeah, it, it I mean, this detailed right specification the of the SUV itself was pretty, you know, ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he combustion engine and oil and, like, you know, where to get all of those things, how to, you know. It was, <laughs> it was a surprising amount of work. It's like three quarters of the book, but. <laughs> <laughs> so Ezra's, like, he's mad about this SUV thing. 
And he's mad about it specifically because I guess Equiterre receives government funding. And so he's like, the government is funding this anti-family advertisement that is promoting people not to use SUVs. And it's the company that Gilbo started. So therefore, the only reason they're getting money must be because like Gilbo is secretly working behind the scenes to give them money. And it's a giant conspiracy, right? True. And this is one of those things where it's like, my guess, the money that Equiterre got was likely through grants that they applied for, that then people who worked on like the, the committee uh, assigning the, the resources to go out uh, allowed the company the, or the nonprofit to receive this funds, right? Like, that is likely what happened. Of course, you know, I'm, I'm sure, like, obviously, corruption, that shit happens. And if it is the case here, sure, like, that's an interesting story. But Ezra literally has nothing to go on other than the fact that this uh, organization has government funding. And in that case, like, so that, what I mean, like, I want to say I, what I'm going to say here because I'm catching myself as I'm saying it because part of me is like, yeah, but I think anyone who works in a business should never be a part of government ever. <laughs> but the other part of me is like most companies probably have people who work for them that eventually get involved with the government. Does that mean that they should they're never allowed to get government grants by like what Ezra is saying? Like the idea yes. itself is just really, uh, really silly. No private company should get a public grant. Ezra's right. Well, granted, no private company should exist, but we... Uh... <laughs> Ezra's right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think that's the argument Ezra Ezra is, is calling for communism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's the big gotcha. That's the whole reason we're talking about Gibo. That's the whole reason he wants to bring this shit up. So, so there you have it. Now, the interview segment was not that interesting, and uh, so we will just move right past it. It was with Gordon Chang... And the whole time Gordon Chang, uh, you know, he wrote the book, The Coming Collapse of China, back in 2001, and we're still waiting. It's still coming. It's coming. Gonna happen one of these days. And the whole interview starts off with Ezra asking Gordon whether or not China's going to invade Taiwan. And Gordon Chang's answer is, not right away, but eventually. (laughs) And that's the whole interview. And I don't care. True. So, uh, yes, we've covered Gordon Chang many times. And uh, we don't need to cover him again. So if you're interested, you can go back. But Gordon Chang, that's pretty much every time he gets dragged on, it's to complain about China. I think the last time he was on a lot was back when Ezra believed in the biolab conspiracy, that the coronavirus was created in a lab in Wuhan. And Gordon Chang was all into that. Uh, which is why he wasn't on for a while, because eventually Ezra started taking the tack that like the virus isn't that bad anyways. So Gordon Chang stopped being useful to him. Uh, mm. But now that Russia has invaded Ukraine, they get to fear monger about China invading Taiwan, and that's why Gordon Chang is back again. So that's it. I, on the note of like, because we talked briefly about the Buffalo shooting, there was also the California shooting where the Chinese-American dude shot into or walked into and shot a bunch of people in the like Taiwanese church. I wonder if that's going to be brought up, but then the Buffalo one won't be just interesting to kind of like stoke the anti-China hate. Whereas the other one like might have more to do with him. So, you know, doesn't want to talk about that. No, 
And I mean, like at at this time of recording, like I looked at the episode titles and some of like the the brief descriptions, and it doesn't look like either of them are brought up. But like, it could come up in like an offhand comment. I have to wait till I prepare for next week's episode. So, but uh, likely they'll they're probably gonna lay low. Is my guess. So now we're on to May eleventh. And Ezra wants to talk about the baby formula shortage in America. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, Vienno. I have heard of it, yes. Yeah, so there, there is a baby formula shortage happening in America. And right off the, the bat, what Ezra wants to say about it is that he thinks that if Trump was in charge, he would have had it solved immediately because Trump's a, Trump's a business person. He understands supply chains. True. Trump would have just breastfed all of the America's babies himself. <laughs> uh, well, while our audience is appreciating that imagery, I will play the clip. Formula has been in short supply since the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. Back then, customers who could afford it stockpiled formula to limit their trips outside. A manufacturing and delivery cycle that takes between 12 and 16 weeks from start to finish didn't keep pace. Okay, but that, that obviously hasn't been a factor in a year, right? That was a factor back then when there was a lockdown. But there has been a shortage in the past year, not, not in 2020, uh, as the supply chain broke down. That's stuff that Donald Trump excels at. He's, he's a doer. He's a fixer. He knows all about supply chains and logistics. You can't build a skyscraper without that kind of planning and logistics. Um, you really think the mentally declining Joe Biden knows anything about the real world? Or do you think any of his team do? I don't think so. He's a doer. Trump Trump built that tower by hand. He got what? all that material himself. He didn't hire an architect or just anybody because he was a rich dude. No, he was literally he a financier. Like, <laughs> yeah, like all, all he knew was to throw money or refuse to give money once he hired people uh, is another thing he did. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, there's so many things here that are just ridiculous. Like, okay, so we're talking about this baby formula shortage thing now. But there, I recall there, there was something that happened when Trump was president where supplies were needed. And he was, you know, see, since he's an expert in supply chain, he could have really uh, helped out, right? Which is why... Mm -hmm. America nipped coronavirus in the butt, and it, no one died from it, and uh, we're all doing okay right now, right? Yeah, true. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Everything's fine. Thank goodness for our president. There's... And, you know, no no toilet paper shortages, no... Uh... Nope. There was nothing. Yeah. I mean, there's I mean been, we didn't even no, the virus. There were no scandals. <laughs> yeah. There is a great book that came out recently that's called uh, Pandemic Incorporated by David McSwain. He's a reporter with ProPublica. And, you know, I was going to list some examples of all the failures of the Donald Trump administration during the initial stages of the pandemic. but uh, That is unnecessary. No, because this dude wrote an entire book about it. And some of the examples are are like, like I, the one example is some dude who just like showed up was like, yeah, I got masks. And so the government just gave him a bunch of money. No masks. <laughs> just, just, 
Jody, we gotta get in on this. Oh, the, oh, my, the other one this, that was really bad was this other guy just shows up saying that we'll we'll create like uh, it had something to do with the process of the PCR test, and he's like, yeah, I'll pro- provide like sanitized tubes or whatever, and it was literally he he was running it out of this warehouse using. Uh, coll- they collected plastic pop bottles and they were just like cutting them up and like stuff like this and I think in that case they can't actually get him for fraud because he actually provided them with something it was just something that ended up being completely useless and they couldn't use so uh, it, it wasn't f- fraud somehow but like yeah so this guy just you know said that he had these things didn't created this like makeshift like create pop bottles thing out of a warehouse and uh, they were ultimately useless at a time when uh, this was the beginning of the pandemic, when these things were vital. So, you know, but Trump understands supply chains. He can just get this shit done, you know? If <laughs> He's a doer, Those you know? babies would be eating microplastics by now. I mean, if only like, Trump were in office. He, they were literally just throwing money at anyone. And uh, yeah, so that's that clearly isn't some sign of, of planning, but it's just amazing. Like, I like I just I I wish that I lived in a world where like we could just make shit up all the time, you know. But like for cool things, rather than defending a fucking dictator, <laughs> piece every of shit, you know? baby would be eating Gerber's carrot soup, if only. Our precious orange boy were still around. <laughs> they like they the would all be getting so much keratin stuff. that they would be orange too. We would solve racism that way. Everyone would be orange. <laughs> That's how racism is solved. We just yeah. make, we give everyone that like whatever fucking spray tan that Trump uses. And just cut, everybody can cut only eat orange food. And has to have really bad spray tans and hair dye. Yeah. Dear Lord. So with... I mean, Ezra doesn't just want to talk about how Trump's going to save the day and make us all orange. He also wants to talk about what is happening with the supply shortage of baby formula, right? And uh, he's, he's going to quote a part of an article that's writing about it. And then he's going to tell you what where he got the information from. So I'm going to leave that as a secret. But I think where this clip starts, it's Ezra reading the article. And he's going to go in. A, uh, so we're going to get a bit of Ezra sort of explaining the situation, at least from the article that he's reading. And then when we get back, we can sort of like uh, check in to, <laughs> to see how we feel about Ezra's explanation for why we're having some sort of a baby formula shortage in the United States. Worst blow came in February when Abbott Nutrition recalled formula made in its Sturgis, Michigan plant. Two babies who drank formula from the plant died of bacterial infections and others were hospitalized, although bacteria wasn't found in the samples they drank. Abbott announced the recall as a precaution. All right. But that's all cleared up now. I mean, here's the Daily Mail in the United Kingdom. Uh, You often find the best reporting (laughs) overseas. FDA, it's about the FDA. Um, You know, why is the biggest baby formula plant in U.S. still shut down after three months? Abbott says plant is safe and was not responsible for the bacteria that killed two kids, but FDA refuses to reopen it as parents across U.S. struggle to feed their babies. 
Abbott Labs claims its Michigan plant is not responsible for bacteria that killed at least two infants. The baby formula manufacturer alleged an FDA investigation revealed infant formula produced at Arsturgis facility is not the likely source of infection. Abbott claims products from the facility did not cause any bacterial outbreak. The plant still remains closed, despite the findings after shutting down in February amid a major product recall. Abbott says it's working closely with the FDA to restart operations of the plant as parents across the nation are struggling to get formula for their babies. I won't read any more than that. The Daily Mail is actually great, aren't they? It's summarizing the whole stories in point form. But did you hear it? The FDA won't let them reopen the plant. So, yes, that was him reading the Daily Mail uh, point. <laughs> famously, famously reliable and accurate and um, real news source, the Daily Mail. Yes. Uh, some of the factual information, like trying to say here because like some of it like it wasn't lies but like it skewed the truth entirely yeah. i mean like even from those bullet points wh- what did you get from the story like who's who's the bad guy of the story abbott well see i was saying the fda the way it's framed because oh, it's like the, the way it's framed yeah yeah because the fda is they're like abbott sit out here saying like oh, there's no way that this came from our plant and we're willing to work with the FDA, but they're not letting us open. And so now all these people aren't getting their baby formula because the FDA won't let us open. And it's like, why, Ezra, are we just taking the word of the company over the FDA? Why, is why Ezra? <laughs> you know. Private companies never lie, Jody. Well, the thing is, so, I mean, there's an issue here in terms of connecting anything back, like finding causal links is always like next to impossible. But what we do know is that there was two infants specifically who died from uh, what's called, and I'm probably pronouncing this incorrectly, but it's a Chronobacter Sakazaki uh, bacteria. And these two infants died from this bacteria. And so they checked in and found out what formula the babies were drinking and they linked it back to this Michigan plant run by uh, the Abbott company. Now, the thing is, if you know anything about infants, they don't consume anything but either formula or breast milk or both. And so these babies were strictly drinking formula, which at least suggests how else did they get this bacteria? Right? If If the only thing they're consuming... It was dripped into their mouths by the FDA. So then, because this happened, the FDA went to the plant back in uh, January. And when they were in the plant, they found numerous health violations, insanitary conditions, and they found samples of Coronabacter, the rest of the name that I can't pronounce. They found that bacteria in the plant. Okay, <laughs> so so we it's can't a mystery. We can't say with a hundred percent certainty, just like any causal relationship in the universe, that these kids died from this plant. But <laughs> if you had to put your money on it, the company amazingly is not taking criminal responsibility for the killing of children. <laughs> so then, <laughs> and like you know. 
It's not like there's been a history with baby formula and this happening before on larger scales. So, like, let's be real. Like, Nestle, just research Nestle and figure some shit out, okay? So, either way, so now, so now you got the FDA and they're sitting there going, we got this insanitary baby formula factory, which has already killed, uh, likely, sorry, likely killed two kids. What do we do? So they shut it down and they gave basically some protocol for the company to do. And the company was trying to negotiate with the FDA rather than just clean their fucking factory. Okay. So now this was before like, so this episode was obviously from last week. I think uh, as of the, like the last couple days, they finally reached an agreement where they're going to upgrade their facility and do the necessary like sanitation cleaning and they're going to reopen the plant. But it's like, of course, why didn't they just fucking do that in the first place? <laughs> why didn't they run a clean factory in the first place rather than violating health mandates, you know? And then here's the other thing. This is all the shit that Ezra talks about constantly about like health mandates and blah, blah, blah. This is exactly why we want health mandates, right? So that we're not poisoning our kids with fucking food. That we have proper regulations in place. And here's Ezra taking the side of the company, just being like, fuck it, kill the kids. Who cares? What's, what's a Gotta few make kids? the money happy. What's a few kids compared to money? Yeah. <laughs> it's just fucking incredible. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, never take Ezra's word on anything. And also, don't don't just read the Daily Mail and think that you've done your research. That's uh, probably also some good advice. Yeah, so... I, I hope I, I convinced you that, uh, you know, maybe regular... I mean, like, here's the thing is FDA is going to do some shitty things. Uh, they're going to fuck up sometimes, like, all that. But this is one of those cases where it's, like, it's pretty clear. And, like, if they didn't shut down this factory, do you not think there would have been blowback against the FDA for not doing their job? You know what I mean? Because now you're dealing with infants dying of, like, a bacteria, you know? I mean, there would be eh. some blowback, but maybe maybe not enough. And that's just uh, an indictment of the world that we live in. Yeah. I don't know. Health regulations are good. Why Why are we living in a timeline where that is, like, debated now? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I don't want to go to a restaurant and get a bacterial infection. Uh, that's just me. I want to eat bread that's half sawdust, Jody. It's called freedom. <laughs> the freedom loaf. Yeah. Guaranteed uh, a mystery amount of sawdust. All right. Guaranteed whatever amount of sawdust we had at the time. Oh yeah, I, so I almost forgot. Ezra adds the episode because I guess like he ran out of material for the baby formula. So the rest of the episode was he's like, oh, and guess what? There's weirdos out there. And those weirdos <laughs> want to create synthetic human milk. And they're going to make you drink it just like Bill Gates wants you to drink the poop. And they're coming for you with all their wacky ideas. And they're going to corrupt you. And it's transhumanism. And we're all going to die. And uh, that's how he ends the episode. <laughs> You know, he makes some points every once in a while. Who? Uh, why? But human synthetic milk, like, whatever. If we can do it, let's fucking do it. Like, I don't... Why is this an issue? Why is this an issue? I thought he liked technology. I don't... <laughs> I don't understand this turn. Kevin, I mean, like, he's even said on his show that he's been pro-GMO and, like, other stuff. But it's like, you know, you can be pro-genetically pro modified organisms when it comes to, like, Monsanto-based corn products and soybeans. But you can't be pro-GMO when it comes to, like, artificial milk, you know? That's... <laughs> Not to say I that GMOs and technology is... necessarily be being used there, but yeah. 
I wonder what his audience thinks of GMOs these days. I don't know. He He's barely brought it up, but he still has Patrick Moore as a guest every once in a while. I mean, it has been a while, but I guess they did like a a, a, a seminar like less than a year ago with him in front of an audience. Patrick Moore, for those who don't know, used to be a member of Greenpeace. He's now like a, a talking head for Monsanto and other companies. And uh, yes, I'm like, I'm not against GMO here. I'm saying this all just because it's like, I'm, I'm against Monsanto, but it's like, it's weird how like Ezra's like stance on technology is like, if he likes the company, he's pro the technology. But even if, because Bill Gates isn't connected with the human milk, uh, synthetic human milk, a piece that he reads it's just that bill gates said oh hey this is a neat idea and that's like automatically makes it bad in ezra's eyes because don't you know that bill gates uh he's a pedophile with uh jeffrey epstein so therefore synthetic human milk is bad because he liked it uh, <laughs> which is not a very good argument you know so then ezra moves off the weird milk stuff or he's on the new weird milk. Maybe, you know, maybe he just wants all the synthetic human milk for himself. I don't know. He's <laughs> But he has uh he has Derek Sloan on to talk about the Ontario election. And most of it's just boring inside uh crap that I don't care about. The the only interesting thing that happened in this discussion had to do with the splitting of the vote. So you have mainly the new blue party, which is kind of the bigger of the far right parties right now in Ontario. You then also have the Ontario party, which was uh, Randy Hillier's party, I think. No, I think that was Derek Hillier's Sloan? was the Ontario first. Okay. Uh, and that didn't get party status. And then Sloan's is the Ontario party. And he already had prior status prior to him becoming leader. I didn't fully look into it because like, I personally don't even really care. But I guess like, it, from what I gathered from this interview, I guess it's the Ontario first people who are running... They're just not running a full slate of candidates across. Like, I guess they could run as independents, because I think Hillier is still running, right? Um, yeah, I think so. Because, like, basically, uh, uh, Sloan just talks about, like, all these different parties, and he lists out all his candidates, because I guess there's some, like, quote-unquote, like, big-name candidates under the Ontario party as well. Uh. And so anyways, they're just talking about, can they all get along? Are they going to vote split the already vote splitting uh, far right parties? And uh, that's sort of what he's what he's going to address here. You know, I couldn't agree more. I think we need to have more unity. I can say on our part that we've reached out to the new blue on multiple occasions. We published actually publicly a proposal that we sent to them in privately. And that was not uh, answered. And uh, if if uh, if they say the opposite, they know my phone number. I'm ready to talk anytime. Uh, I'd be happy to work together. Obviously, we're coming very close to this upcoming election, so it may uh, be something for another time. But I think at the very least, there should have been some kind of arrangement to not run candidates against, uh, you know, prime candidates of the other party. And we would have been happy to do that. In fact, even though we haven't heard back from them, we're not planning on running a candidate against, for example, Belinda. We think that she deserves the respect to to run uh, un, uh, uh, unopposed mm. unfortunately they haven't taken that tack and they're running a full slate against even some of our uh, stellar candidates mm. uh, all of that aside i do feel though the approach needs to be a positive uplifting approach we've tried to do it that way 
And I would really caution some of the other groups, let's not do the you know character assassinations, let's not do uh, you know the mudslinging, let's focus on the target, let's focus on where we want to take Ontario. We've had enough destruction the last couple of years to last a lifetime. Let's focus on rebuilding the province. Now, I wanted to play that only because we often uh, online and even on the show sometimes talk about like leftist infighting and the leftists tearing uh, each other down and we can't get the solidarity we need. And often people reflect that this doesn't happen on the right, that somehow they can stick together. And I, I just wanted to play this to show that that's not true. I mean, the right wing just has as many people bloated with their own egos to like create multiple parties that they then fight and bicker with each other over who's going to be the next like fringe party. So, uh, yeah, just just worth highlighting that. Uh, but also kind of funny that like even Derek Stone's like, come on, we didn't run anyone against Belinda. And then the new blue party was like, fuck you. <laughs> just <laughs> ran people anyway. So. Uh, yep. Good fun. Um, just a note on, so Hillier is not running again. Oh, okay. Um, and the Ontario First Party, um, never finished their registration process and, um, has since been kind of mostly replaced because, uh, even the plans to run candidates for the unregistered Ontario First Party, um, None of those candidates ended up running (laughs) successfully. Uh, And so the Populist Party of Ontario, uh, which looks a lot like the um, People's Party in terms of like logo and it's like PPO and everything. Um, And I guess that's where the Ontario First Party's website now redirects. So it has been replaced, but there is nothing about who might be running for them or anything i wonder with the name ontario first as well whether they got that from the canada first people considering that i know hillier's daughter who also ran for the people's party during the federal election was close with the canadian first people and for those who don't remember the canadian first people uh were the ones who threw rocks at trudeau during the election and they were prominent waving their canadian first flags at the trucker convoy in ottawa and have connections with the uh, groiper movement and nick fuentes out of the united states and their american first movement so uh very very far right uh derek sloan i i feel like he's he's more of just a right-wing evangelical right-winger yeah. Uh, although he does have his connections where he received a donation from Paul from, but. You returned that too, right? Yeah. Didn't he? Yeah. Like. The thing is, I don't even know. Like, O'Toole not... did so good with that. Yeah. Like props to him for that one alone of just like decimating the conservative party by like getting rid of his opposition. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like, I think. That's why he got called, like, a red Tory and all that, too, right? But, like, that's what you would hope. Uh, like, here's not not the, the very thin praise you can give to any conservative is the one who's like, I'm a conservative, but I'm not that conservative, you know? Uh, and sadly, a lot of those are starting to lose power to the uh, those conservatives, you know? Uh, yeah. And, you know, I'd rather conservatism just go away altogether so we don't have any of them wanting to become those conservatives. 
But you know, uh, I, I will take in the meantime the ones who at least agree that fascism is where they officially draw the line, you know? Yeah. Now, speaking of those conservatives or people on the more wackier extremes, Ezra gets an email in the uh, mail-in segment of the show from a listener who has some interesting things to say. <laughs> Karen Icon says, Thank you, Rebel, for ramping up awareness of the most essential issues in Canada. The Trudeau crime government must be exposed. Carbon, what about the billions of tons spewed by all those jets doing the geoengineering? We see no less than 30 flying over our land here in BC every day, burning the blue sky to gray by noon. Here in the rural area, we must have SUVs, tiny soy boy cars, and Teslas would not work in a real life scenario. Got a lot of things in there, and I appreciate the compliment. I don't think that contrails, like the, the condensation behind a vapor trail, I don't think that that's geoengineering. I acknowledge that sometimes there's cloud seeding. I grew up west of Calgary and farmers would seed the cloud to try and squeeze rain out of it. But I don't believe that regular contrails or vapor trails are, I think you call it geoengineering. I just disagree with you on that. I don't think that's accurate. Why would he push back on this out of all the, <laughs> the other wacky things that he adopts? He's like, chemtrails, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> I don't know. I would just like to acknowledge that the writer of the letter was Karen Icon. She's an iconic Karen. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that, but uh Yeah, I don't I I don't know enough about the chemtrail shit to really like know why he would push back against it. But also just like I was it was very hard to parse to what extent this person was a troll and maybe the name Karen Icon like indicates some trollish behavior. Because what they were saying was like carbon being dumped into the atmosphere from planes, which is something that planes do because they're burning fuel. I mean... <laughs> no, they don't. No, they don't. My... <laughs> planes are solar power. True. Okay. My bad. Planes are wind power, Jody. Idiot. They fly, don't they? <laughs> but is it? That's wind. <laughs> I like, and then. We don't know, they're geoengineering, but there's like, there's a subtle truth there where it's like, if you dump a lot of carbon into the atmosphere, you're going to geoengineer the planet. Like, if there's this, like, because the chemtrail conspiracy is usually like they're dropping like mind control drugs in the, the air or whatever. And I'm like, that's not quite it. But Ezra still takes what the person is saying as a chemtrail thing and then like shuts it down. No chemtrails on the <laughs> Show. Like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know. Troll, not troll. Interesting email nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> I also love the, the throwing in of like soy boys driving electric vehicles. <laughs> That's right. Electricity just is just soy. Soy is electricity. They're the same thing. Yeah. The more Where you, you know. think it comes from. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're on to May 12th, and Ezra talks about the conservative leader debate. And I didn't watch any of it. 
and I didn't need to watch any of it to prepare for this bit, so uh, I'm not going to watch any of it. But Ezra wants to talk about it because I guess the moderator was silly, and Ezra doesn't like him. So he's a guy named Tom Clark. Now, when he was talking about Tom Clark, I was like, I don't know who the fuck's Tom Clark. And I Googled him and like, he looks very familiar. He used to, uh, maybe not for you, Vienno, because uh, there is a 10 year age gap between us. But I remember growing up, Tom Clark was a personality who used to be on CTV all the time. So I've seen him. I think he did the like national news broadcast on CV- CTV for like the longest time. Uh, he might have retired like in 2016. So... Yes, so he's this guy who's just a news personality. And Ezra gets this idea that somehow he's a liberal plant based on the questions he was asking during the conservative leadership debate, even though he was invited to be there by the conservative party. (laughs) But it gets like weirder than this because there's been this ongoing narrative and we're going to hear the clip in the clip that I'm going to play where... Ezra, whenever he would talk about the media party and how the media party like loves Justin Trudeau and hates the conservatives, Ezra would always play this clip that I didn't know was Tom Clark. But in the clip, Tom Clark asks Trudeau how like what shampoo does he use? And Trudeau like answers frivolously. But like Ezra always used this as a clip of like this is an ev- the evidence of the media party just loving Trudeau. But as you could hear this like clip. These are these are the kinds of questions that Tom Clark asked at the conservative leadership debate. <laughs> okay, now he in the middle of the clip I'm about to play, I cut out a bunch of stuff because he plays like all the time. So it'll be things like, uh, "What Netflix are you binging?" and stuff like this. Yeah, and so okay, I saw, so I saw like a <laughs> screenshot of that on Twitter, and it was just like, "What?" Yeah, so why I, are you, why are they talking about <laughs> such weird things? He also had this thing where that he made it like a game show where they had like paddles at one point to like anyways <laughs> if anything like to me this makes the debate sound more fun to be honest <laughs> debates fucking suck you might as well add some sort of like batch the ret ping choose the ping pong paddle thing or whatever but all I want to say is I did edit this clip you're going to hear but all I did was I took out Ezra plays this like long segment of just Tom asking question after question. Like, we don't even hear the answers. All Ezra is focusing on the questions Tom asks. And in the clip I'm going to play you, Ezra tells you the questions he asks anyways that eventually you hear in the B-roll. So I just got rid of that stuff for, like, added fluff that we don't need to hear. But uh, I will play this clip because... Listen listen to how Ezra feels about about Tom Clark and how he handled the moderation of this debate. He started off by saying it was going to be a serious debate. And for the first few seconds, I believed him. But whether it was lack of preparation, lack of imagination, or he was literally a mole trying to undermine the conservatives, he, the, the largest section in the entire debate was not about foreign policy, was not about economic policy, was not about political campaign tactics. It was reality TV style, bachelorette, TV style questions like, um, I don't know, what book are you reading? What music are you listening to? Who, what historical figure would you like to have dinner with? If you binged watch a show on Netflix, what would it be? 
those four questions, he actually asked them. I think it was Patrick Brown last night who answered saying, look, I'm on a campaign. I'm running around this country. I'm not curling up with a nice book to while away the time. It was a bizarre question. I mean, have one of those just for a lighthearted moment to cleanse the palate. But it was seriously the longest part of the entire show, the entire debate were these. And, and it dawned on me that maybe that shampoo question that Tom Clark put to Justin Trudeau, maybe that wasn't just softball. Maybe that's the true intellectual level at which Tom Clark operates. I mean, seriously, the shampoo question, how's that any different from the, from the Netflix question? Look at it again in the light of his disastrous performance last night. So I guess the first thing I should ask you is, are you feeling lucky? I mean, <laughs> the entire country wants to know. What shampoo do you use? <laughs> what a disappointing answer this is going to be. Whatever happens to be hanging around at the time. I think the only thing more embarrassing is that Justin Trudeau gave a thoughtful answer to the shampoo question like he was ready for. When you heard the shampoo question, did you think Trudeau was ready to answer that? No, <laughs> he seemed confused. <laughs> like, I love... Even, he just. I, I love Tom Clark. I feel like Ezra, he's disappointed. I think that the thing is, the biggest takeaway I get from this is that he's just disappointed that that clip that he used to use as propaganda turns out that it wasn't as good propaganda that he thought it was because just it turns out that Tom Clark is just an idiot. <laughs> and, and like he's, he's our idiot, you know? He's the people's idiot. <laughs> Still, you know how like <laughs> he wants to, but he wants to salvage it. He because he's like, oh, but Trudeau's answer was still like he's still he's like I love that clip. You know he can't let it go. Yeah. You know how there used to be like the village idiot or like the town crier, and I don't know if those at all were related. They just sound like the same thing in my mind. Tom Clark should be that for Canada. <laughs> like. I don't even think he's an idiot. Like I just the funny thing is, it's like I think that's just his shtick you know and then it's funny because it's like the conservative party got him to moderate their debate so it's like all right this is this is the kind of thing that they wanted like did they not vet the moderator before asking him to show up i mean that also does sound in character so (laughs) (laughs) and these are the people we want to run our country (laughs) oh my god we then move into, like, uh, actual content. So Ezra does want to get to the actual things that got said during this debate. And the first, th- there's two main issues that Ezra wants to talk about. And he uses them as kind of like liberal gotchas brought by Tom Clark. And I want to say right up front, I actually don't know. I could not, like, glean from Tom Clark what party he supports or what his party affiliation is. Uh, he seems like your typical centrist Canadian. So he could vote conservative, he could vote liberal, and neither would surprise me. Now, apparently, the two questions that he brought up that Ezra thinks were liberal gotchas had to do with, one, Roe v. Wade, and the other one had to do with uh, truth and reconciliation. I will play you at least... Uh, the Roe v. Wade thing and see how Ezra responds to Tom Clark even raising that question. He literally kicked off by talking about an American court case 
called Roe v. Wade, a case that has not and has never applied to Canada, has no ramifications for Canada whatsoever, but Tom Clark wanted to talk about abortion and smoke out where the conservatives stood on that, and he was relentless on it because that's what Trudeau would want him to talk about. I say again, I don't know if Tom Clark actually was a Liberal Party mole. I now believe he's not actually clever enough to do such a mission. But I should say, if he was a Liberal Party mole, what would he have done differently other than talk about Roe v. Wade? We just did a whole episode on Roe v. Wade. And I recall one of the takeaways was that at least America gets to have this debate, and we don't. (laughs) (sighs) And now, (laughs) now, even the raising of it added a debate. It's just a liberal gotcha. At a debate where it is one of the, like actually defining differences between some of the different candidates too yep (sighs) yeah and like uh you know i wish it wasn't a question for debate in some sense i wish we lived in a world where like this wasn't even a question that needs to be raised but i think it is important in the context that people know what they're getting and if one of those uh conservative leaders uh, wants to be in control of their party when again, it's something, it's like somewhere between 70 to 90% of this country supports abortion. So, considering that that is also a whole lot of conservatives that are pro abortion, maybe this is a relevant question. And maybe we can weed out some of the Leslie Lewis, maybe we can weed them out. <laughs> that was not, that was not very well done, Jimmy. That hurt my ears. Leslie Lewis! <laughs> That's better. You know, it might be a little bit relevant. That's all. Uh, <laughs> here's you, you know what's the most shocking about the clip that we just played, though? So Ezra says this. The interview segment of this week's episode was him talking to his fellow employee, Adam Seuss, as Adam Seuss was at a March for Life rally in Calgary, where people were, uh, you know, anti-abortion marching in the streets. And somehow Ezra's like, how dare, how dare this liberal reporter ask the candidates about Roe v. Wade and about abortion? Now I will return to my correspondent, who's now on the field documenting the anti-abortion movement in Canada. (laughs) God. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's so fucking unreal and stupid. And just like... You know what? Like it's it's amazing to me, like how stupid fascism is, and it's just it's coming. <laughs> it's... <laughs> it was you know. stupid then; it's stupid now. Yeah, like, and yet it it keeps coming. It's on the way, no matter what you do. Now, uh, the truth and reconciliation question thing was just—I I think it had to do with uh, Tom brought up the Truth and Reconciliation Committee's, like, point plan that was done, like, six or seven years ago, and was like, what, if anything, off the the listed point plan would any of you, like, do or enact or whatever? And so 
Ezra's complaint was like, who remembers this point plan? Like, who, like it was six years ago. Like, who cares? Blah, 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 right? And part of me is like, I don't know. You're running to be the leader of this country. Maybe a plan that was like worked out with the indigenous community about truth and reconciliation is something you might want to like, I don't know, enlighten yourself about. And even if you don't have like exact knowledge of like what every single point is on this thing, you could probably spitball some answers being like, here's something we could do to uh, resolve some of the issues between the indigenous community and our government or something like there's some answer that you could give right but his response is just like it's it's a gotcha because now like nobody knows what's on this list and now it makes them look stupid like <laughs> yeah like it's pretty easy to say some bullshit like oh we're gonna end boil water advisories yep even at, like even at, like Ezra complains that the question wasn't about the boil water advisories, but there's no no reason why you couldn't have brought it up to answer this question, you know? Yeah, and like, chances are it's not one of the main points, but it is still something that they could say that I'm sure they're all aware of too. Yeah. And and that was it. That's all he had to say about the leadership debate. God. Which takes us, and here's the thing too, it's like, it's funny that he's complaining about the guy who hosted it and all this stuff, when it's like, the, the fucking election's not till September. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> there'll be plenty more debates from here till then, okay? Uh, don't worry, Ezra, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get the kind of debate you want eventually. So we then get to May 13th, Friday the 13th, and the entire episode was Ezra defending the people who were shouting at Jagmeet Singh and calling him a fucking traitor and swearing at him as he got into his vehicle. And Ezra's response to this is, how is this any different from the fact that Trudeau and Jagmeet called the convoy people racists and bigots? So therefore, they're allowed to, based on free speech, to just hurl insults and how dare anyone like investigate what happened. And there's some sense in which I'm like, I don't think anyone's going to be, like, charged with what happened to Jugmeat. Yeah. But, like, the thing that struck me is, like, irony. Because, of course, this was before, like, this is before the shooting that happened on the weekend. So it wouldn't have been, like, first thing in his mind. But it's like, we have radical white nationalist terrorists in this country that do violence. He would they have that, though. Well, yes. But the point is... There, there's something, say, a little bit more concerning when you have people yelling fucking traitor at one of our uh, leaders of one of the, the major political parties in this country who doesn't, uh, oh, who happens not to be white, you know? Like, maybe that is something to be a little bit heightened uh, in, in our awareness towards, you know? That there's there's an, a legitimate concern here, you know? But of course, Ezra doesn't uh, think that that's the case at all because the truckers aren't racist. You know, even even the fact that even the, the lawyer that they hired might be defending the people who have the guns out in Coots, Alberta. But, you know, we, we don't have to get into all of that. You know, they're, they're harmless. They're just they just love bouncy castles and they're they're fun. And they love swear words and shouting them. What what can be done about that? Well, I'm also it's like part of their friendly <laughs> nature. I'm also like, what do you do to traitors? You know, if you actually think Jugmeat is a traitor, what what is the what is the uh, punishment for traitoring? What has Canada's 
you know, <laughs> legacy of dealing with traitors been a certain, you know, Louis Riel comes to mind. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyways, that, that, that's pretty much the whole main segment of the, uh, the episode. And it's just, it's just, it's amazing hearing it. Like I had no clips to play, but it's like to defend these people right before the weekend where an asshole murdered uh, people because of the color of their skin. It's just like, it can be overwhelming to a certain extent of just like they, they, of course they're, they're feeding into it. And like it, He's not mad. I like I here's the I we we can't know what's in his heart, what he wants, all this stuff, but it's like if you're promoting this and you're letting it get hyped up, when one of them eventually goes and kills people, then you're going to like pretend to feel bad about it, which he has done in the no. past. No, he pretends like even when the the thing happened in London, he's just like, "Oh, it was bad, blah blah blah," and then spends the rest of the time attacking the media for calling the guy a racist, you know? <laughs> uh it's it's just like yeah i just want to make sure to highlight that this guy uh you know we call him a racist for a reason that's the one thing where like i feel like if he wants to come at me for defamation or whatever that's the one thing that i think that we can beat him in a court (laughs) i think we have enough content on this show that indicates that ezra says and does a lot of racist things and i do not think that is controversial And defending a bunch of white people hurling insults at our non-white uh, leader of a political party is another piece to that puzzle. Now, the last interview is with Ben Weidengarten, and uh, he's, again, speaking of racists, <laughs> Yeah. We, we usually talk about him, but this time I had nothing to say about him. He's literally, so for those who don't know, because you're not watching or listening to every episode, Ben Weidengarten wrote American Ingrate, which is about Ilhan Omar, and it feeds into these conspiracy theories that somehow Ilhan Omar married her brother so that he could get a green card and enter America and like all these kind of wacky conspiracies, none of which are true. But he's a frequent guest to Ezra where they talk about uh, tons of things and Ben Garten is like a lot more overt on the racism than Ezra is. Mm. However, this piece... Ben is just complaining that there's this person who got hired by the Biden administration to do like social media stuff. (laughs) And the person releases like cringe TikToks. And that's it. (laughs) People do cringe stuff. So... Deleting the internet would solve this problem. Deleting we the internet know. would solve this problem. You're right, Theano. We gotta, we gotta call the person in charge, uh, or in charge of keeping the internet plugged in, and we gotta get him to, like, pull the plug. Yeah. This experiment has gone on for too long. <laughs> it definitely has. And our suffering. <laughs> Please, let it end. I have an article 
Uh, it's from Eflux. Uh, it's titled No Milk, No Love. And it's a... It's about human um, synthesized milk, baby. All right. It all wraps back around. <laughs> but no, it's about Ukraine. Um, and it's about the ways that um, both... Western Europe and Russia see Ukraine as a territory to be controlled and resources to have access to more than like an actual place where people exist and live um, and how that's kind of like played out throughout history and how that plays into the ongoing war. Um, that sounds yeah. very familiar to a lot of things that have happened around the world. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a really good one like it really gets into a lot of like the history and everything um like going back hundreds of years and then within like the context of particularly uh coal steel and wheat um and then into the kind of like the views where you know europe can never consider it ukraine as fully europe because it has to be kept at a distance and then russia can only like see itself see ukraine as you know an almost anti-russia or itself as an anti-ukraine um and how that kind of like plays into how ukraine is treated and its own national mythologies and how you know one part is like talking about how the first uh post-independence ukrainian textbook talked about how talked about like the beauty of ukraine pretty much only in terms of extractable resources <laughs> uh and how that was what drew people to settle there and how that is the like main good thing about the country and that's from their own point of view or you know from their own like state's point of view um but yeah it's a really interesting article um and in terms of like actionable things too just because we talked about ukraine and like you know arming or whatever and like weapons manufacturing and all that the real thing that we can do to help ukraine is call to cancel their debt because the thing is throughout this whole crisis um like since well before the invasion started and everything uh canadian aid has come in the form of loans they have to be paid back plus interest <laughs> so canada's not only making money by like selling them and giving them weapons they're making, like, they're maintaining a sort of, like, client state form with Ukraine by just supplying them with a lot of high-interest loans that they'll then be having to pay back for decades or more. Um, so if Canada actually cared about helping the country, they could just either give them grants or forgive them a whole lot of their debt because oh boy, is Ukraine in debt. Um, so yeah, contact your like government people and be like, hey, why the fuck are we like giving them loans? Or why are we still like demanding that they pay back their loans from previous uh, loans we gave them? Because um, that is an actual thing that doesn't involve weapons manufacturing that can help Ukraine. Um, yeah. I guess I'll just end with saying as well that uh, in terms of things that people can do, 
and like this this isn't going to happen for another few weeks so i'll remind in the next few episodes as well but june 5th especially if anyone is in london ontario there will be a march in solidarity with the afsal family uh it'll be a year anniversary after that attack in london ontario and uh yeah for those not in london like uh you know uh i guess you could just Say things, get the message out. White nationalist terrorists are not welcome. You know, they exist. I mean, I, I, I like these people. It's like, it's not really Canada. It's like, no, they're, they're here. But, uh, but we can show that we do not appreciate them, you know. Uh, so yeah. uh, please, please join us. Uh, we will at least be there for the, the June 5th March in town. And so, uh, yeah. And I'll, I'll post some more updates and, and obviously on the show as uh, the date approaches as well. But. Yeah, keep that in your your hearts and minds and all that. And with that, uh, if you support and enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on patreon.com slash imperial news. If you want to stay informed about what we are doing, you can also find us on Twitter at imperial news with a Z. We have a Discord set up. Uh, we do Twitch streams every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find videos on our YouTube channel, and you can find all the links in the show notes on this episode. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at masontickle.com. Thanks for listening. And human milk. You canceled because we have the new improved milk. <laughs> it's, it's coming. <laughs> it's going to be better than human. It's going to be superhuman milk. End the episode. End the episode. We're done. <laughs> Albumia, Albumia, how lovely are your wheat fields? <laughs> <laughs>